football went into lockdown, Queen's Park was sitting just a point outside the playoffs in League Two. Whatever happened this season, the Spiders were already preparing for the next campaign. In November, they voted to turn professional after 152 years as an amateur institution. This summer, they were due to turn full-time, and their manager, Ray McKinnon, had been building a squad to deal with that. One of the high-profile players to arrive was former Rangers and Kilmarnock goalie, Cami Bell. He signed in February, and he joins us tonight. We'll hear his views on the club. We'll also look back at his career, which saw him win a Scotland Cup too, and reflect on his time at Ibrox and his other clubs. Plus, we'll discuss his plans for his own future when the time comes to hang up the boots. It's all here on Down the Divisions. Well, Paul, I think we've actually had a week without too much controversy for for a good long while. But, uh, first, we mentioned the New Mains United film that was coming out last week. It's been on the club website since Friday, and judging by social media, it seems to have been pretty well received. Feedback's been unbelievable, Gareth. Uh, even some rival clubs have put it on their own uh, social media, which has been good. So can't really thank Paul Cassidy and the guys at Green Empire Productions enough for their hard work. It's been fantastic. And is it still on the website now? Yeah, it's still up on the website. And the website is www.newmainsunitedfc.com. That's the very one. Good stuff. Well, good to have you all listening. Uh, we're here every Wednesday with a new episode. If you've got any comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Queen's Park goalkeeper Cami Bell is with us this week. Cami, good to have you with us. Uh, how's lockdown been for you so far? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been obviously strange times, um, which has been for everyone for the last sort of two months now. Um, no football, obviously homeschooling. Um, yeah, so it's been busy and um, always something to do. But no, it's um, it's been it's been strange and now kind of getting a little bit sicker. Obviously missing the football a lot now. Mm. It's been probably this period I've had out my career that um, I've not been involved in any way so um, yeah it'd be, be good to get some sort of normality back soon but um, it's not looking too likely at the moment. No I mean what, what's your speciality been with the homeschooling have you been a bit of a maths maths wizard or a bit of art or what, what, what's your what's your strength? Um, oh, patience is my strength I think to be honest <laughs> uh, my wife's not so good at um, so I've kind of took over the homeschooling and um, just sort of sort of short periods with my, my wee girl's only six, so um, short periods of, of learning, um, little bits of break, plenty of play for her, and just as long as she's doing something every day, then I'm quite happy to be honest. It's it's, it's difficult. It was kind of first sort of weeks you were you were kind of focused on doing it and doing everything right, but the longer the periods went on, it's uh, it's become harder and harder because I think she gets a little bit bored of homeschooling as well. I'm looking at the haircut there, Cammy. That looks uh, as if it's professionally done. It's all right. It was my. I, I've had it done three times by my my wife, uh, and she's not a hairdresser, uh, but she's done done quite a good job. She's. Uh, it's just been sort of the back and the sides. I've not let her touch too much on the top, so um, no, I'm quite happy with it. To be fair. I think I'll need to book myself in. <laughs> that'll save you a few quid after lockdown. I know. I that's it. That's it. I've. I've She's doing her best pal at her job, though, because it's her best pal that cuts my hair, All so right. normally she's going to the house, so um, no, my wife's been doing it, so it's been, she's done all right, I'm quite happy with it, to be fair. Gets rid of the greys, 
that's what it does. <laughs> uh, before we chat some more, we've got the Down the Divisions Decider. Uh, each week we start with four clues for a particular year. Paul is leading 1-0 and he's got a chance here to go 2-0 uh, up. So I'll give the four clues and uh, Cammy, get involved. See if you can if you can work out what year this uh, relates to or these clues relate to. And we'll give the answer at the end of the show. So this week we're looking for the year that Linlithgow Rose won the Scottish Junior Cup for the first time since 1965. The Queen Mother passed away. Airdrie became the first senior Scottish club for 35 years to go into liquidation. And Pierce Brosnan bowed out as James Bond in Die Another Day. Cammy? Um, oh, honestly, total stab in the dark. Um, on it. 2004. Okay, Paul? I'm just trying to think. Airdrie. Airdrie. The, the, the real Airdrie was still about when I was at school. I left school in, I left school in 95 and Cammy's throwing me by going into the other millennium. <laughs> 2001. Okay, we'll reveal all at the end of the show. Cammy Bell, the Queen's Park goalie, is our guest this week. Cammy, as I said at the start of the show, you only joined Queen's Park in February. Yep. Was a big part of going there that you could see that there was a project being built? Yeah, definitely. I think um, obviously working with Ray McKinnon again um, was a big part of it. The the way the club was wanting to go forward and and push their salon really to, to being really professional. Obviously, they just turned from amateur to professional, but the, the plans they had for, for the club going forward within the next sort of two and three years and where they wanted to be, um, it was a great opportunity for me to be part of it and something that they really were so ambitious of doing. So, no, it was um, I was excited to join. It was it was a club that really had plans of, of going forward and at a quick pace as well. You mentioned the manager. I mean... You've worked with him twice before. He signed you twice before. Yeah. What, what is it about him that you really like? Just um, he's honesty. I think um, I think he's a, a sort of a man's man manager. Um, he gets people. Um, he's good with, with players. Man management's very good. No, he's just he he's he's easy to work with. I think. Um, and I've just I've just got a relationship with him that, that I think we both know each other. We both know what we get out of each other and. Um, it's just worked for me, so it was a big part of me going there. He picked up the phone when he knew I wasn't too happy at Falkirk and, and said he wanted to sign me and sold me all the the plans of the club. And no, it was it was as I say, it was a great opportunity for for me to join them, especially at my age and and looking towards the future. It was a, a club with a plan and and some wanting to go to to be really ambitious as well. Obviously, Cami, you still play at a higher level. What was uh the main decider and you drop him down the divisions. I know you obviously said Ray McKinnon, but yep. uh, you obviously feel yourself you could probably still play Premier League anyway. Yeah, again, it was a, it was a hard one for me. I actually sat down with Ray and I, I kind of said that the the only reason that I wasn't wanting to sign for the club was the division that they were in. And it was no disrespect to that. It was just the fact that it was difficult for me to, to say I'm going to be playing the lowest league. But again, when a club has got a plan and a future and everything in place and they're, they're, they're moving away from Hamden into a proper stadium, a stadium of their own that they can call their own. They're going to build it to be in a good stadium with an atmosphere. It's it's great playing at Hamden, obviously, but 
to play with with such a, a small crowd that feels almost like a, a ghost game. It's it's very sort of pre-season friendly, back a closed doors match sort of feeling to it. Whereas if you can get a stadium with sort of three four thousand in it and you can maybe get a thousand and then build your crowd over over a period of time that you're you're wanting to to progress the club, then I think that would that's going to be a real benefit to the club as well, having their own their own sort of ground and little atmosphere and. And we're glad, being in Glasgow, it's a great catchment area for for a lot of fans to go and watch a game of football as well. How has it been since you've joined? Then have have you been training as any part time team would, and and you know before the lockdown, obviously. But would you be going up on a I don't know a Tuesday and a Thursday evening and, and, and training training then? Yeah, I mean that that was it. That's it. A Tuesday and a Thursday. Um, obviously doing bits and bobs myself uh, because um, at the end of the day, I've always been full time. This was the first. First time of being part time, and that was a that was a big decision for me as well. Was was going part time for the first time in my career. Um, I think it's 18 seasons I've been full time, so it's it's a long time, and to have to change everything in your structure of your your weekly, your working was was difficult. But again, I looked at the future, and we were meant to be going full time in June. Um, that was our contracts was turning from part time to full time in June. Uh, whether that that happens or when we get back playing, I, I really can't answer that. I don't think anyone can at the moment. So, but again, I've spoke to people at the club, and the ambitions are still there. It's just obviously governed by by the the situation we're in at the moment with the the COVID nineteen and and when we can get back to being on a football pitch, when we can plan to for the football club to go forward again. So, there's a lot of questions to be answered. But um, no, I mean it was. It was always, for me, I was always looking to the future and being full-time again in the summer. Going back to the very beginning, you obviously started your career as a, a kid at Annan and Queen of the South. Was Kilmarnock your first pro contract? Yeah, Kilmarnock was. I was. Uh, I, I spent a couple of years um, in their youth set-up uh, up there, and then I went uh, full-time when I was 15 uh, with Kilmarnock, so that was my first pro contract. Um and no, it was great. It was, it was it was a great family club, and I moved up there when I was when I was fifteen, sort of turning sixteen. Um, stayed in Digs for for a few years, and it uh, really kind of brought me on as a person and made me grow up quite fast. You learnt a lot of stuff back in the days. You used to obviously Mondays we didn't train. We used to clean the stands, and it was all that sort of it gave you a really good grounding to be honest. And I, I think there's a lot of that's missed nowadays in in football that the younger guys. Don't don't do as much. You don't clean a lot of clubs. You don't even clean boots. Whereas you were always set to being a boot boy for one of the senior players, and, and it was a great integration between you and the senior player as well. I, I felt as if you got a relationship with them. Um, so I mean, I, I think that's a little bit missed in football at the moment. What well, did you share with anybody in the digs? Was there was there a few few you in there? There was. Um, I stayed in digs myself at, at first, uh, and then I ended up moving into a flat quite quickly. Club got me a flat because I, I kind of was unsettled in digs a little bit. Um, and then my brother was at university, so he stayed with me for a period of time, um, and I stayed with him in Kilmarnock. Um, then Jamie Hamill, he moved in with, with me as well for a period. Um, that must have been a life experience there. That must have taught you a few lessons. <laughs> experience that was uh, uh Hamill's uh, some boys he's a, he's a good guy but uh, he was a bit mad back in the day I think he's calmed down a little bit at the moment but, um no it was it was good though it was, it was a good sort of learning curve for me being in digs so young and 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 obviously even having a flat myself when I was so young that it was a it was a great experience and um no it was good times 
And then would you be in training with the kind of first team keepers there? Was it like Colin Meldrum and that there at the time? So at the start, when I first went in, um, Gordon Marshall was the first team goalie and Colin Meldrum was sort of a second choice at that period. Then you had, with a really good group of goalies, you had uh, Gordon Marshall, Colin Meldrum, you had Colin Stewart, um, and then you had Graham Smith and Craig Sampson and myself. So it was a, it was a good good group who all played at, at good levels. Um, so... Uh, no, it was a really good standard, and obviously learnt a lot from from Big Mars. He was he was there for a season or two, I think, when I was there, and then um, Alan Cohn came in after that period as well. So it was great, great first team goalies for me to learn off of. How important were were loan spells away for you in terms of toughening you up and and just kind of getting used to to men's football and a and a competitive edge? Huge. I mean, the first loan spell I had was Montrose, and and just to grow at a young age and get games and. And be part of a sort of a team that that meant something to the players every week. They were getting their win bonuses, and 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 players would fight for that that sort of extra money for them. And no, it was it was huge. And just to, to have that sort of feeling of a playing in front of a crowd where it mattered, and it mattered to the fans of of that club. So it was great to to get that. And then obviously I got injured quite early on at, at Montrose, and had to go back to Kilmarnock, and I spent a period of time out. Uh, injured, that was a serious sort of knee injury at that point, and then I went back out on loan to Queen of the South when I got back fit, and that was that was the main one for me. That that was a it was a great loan for me. It was a championship football. It was a good standard. Queens were doing well at that time. I remember it was the season that they were in Europe, um, so I got the European game um, where we played Norseland and in Denmark. So that was a great experience for me. It was sort of first time I'd played in a TV game. I think it was. BBC covered it, and it was the first sort of exposure for me. So it was, it was great experience and and a really high standard at that point in the championship. Um, and and some good players at Queens had at the time and experienced players. So that was a real learning curve for me as well. You talked about the knee injury there. I mean, happened to you twice, didn't it? Yeah. And and how, you know, describe doing it once must be must be horrendous, particularly when you're still making your way in the game. You know, to then do it again, I don't know, is, is it, I was going to say, is it better or worse? But you know what's coming second time around, don't you? And I guess some ways that can be good, in other ways can't be so good. I mean, tell us a bit more about that, those whole experiences. Um, it was tough. I mean, the first time I didn't really, I didn't really understand it until I got told the whole, you'd done your cruciate ligament and it was, um, it was a major operation at that, especially sort of 18 years ago. It was, a, it was a long time, sort of, it was a big operation back then. Um, so you were you were getting your your knee done, and there was questions whether you would get back fit. And then the second time when I'd done it, I knew straight away I'd done it. I actually done it in the game playing for Montrose, and I knew straight away I'd done it. And I actually tried to to hide it a little bit, and I played on the last 15 minutes. I knew it was it's a strange injury that you 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 can you can walk, but you, your knee feels unstable basically because you've snapped the ligaments that keep your your knee sort of. In, in line and, and keep it the mobility of it um, going. So I remember going and seeing Alec McQueen as a physio and I, I phoned him after the game and I said, look, I've done something with my knee. I think I've done it again. And he said, look, don't panic. Don't think to it. We'll have a look at it. Assess it on Monday. I went in. It was badly swollen. I think we waited until the Friday um, and I got a scan and then the scan came back and it was confirmed that I'd done it again and I'd completely snapped a few other ligaments at the same time round about it, which made it worse. Um, so it was major. It was a major operation. I remember Alex said to me years after it, he said, "Look, there was 
it was a, a point that I didn't think you would play again. Really? Um, it was a huge operation. It was um, I was out for I think I was out for twelve months, um, and I was in a brace for about four months as well because of one of the ligaments I snapped, which is um, the uh, post lateral corner. It's a ligament that goes down the side of your knee. It needs to basically get sewn back together, and you can't bend your knee for a period t- a time. So it was a big operation. It was a it was a mental sort of a challenge for me and again it's one of these things you take in your life and you sort of put a positive spin on it and if you can get through that then you can get through a lot of other things so no I worked hard out I had some I was kind of fortunate at the same time I'd done it David Fernandez had done his cruise at the same time so we kind of done rehab at the same time together so that was a it was a real good good buddy for me to work alongside uh, Fernandez had had a good career and was was a good mm. guy as well to work with so no it was a, it was good bouncing off him and, and sort of working away, trying to get back fit together. What's it like, though, coming back from either of those injuries, going in for the first save, the first challenge, the first one-to-one in training and in a game? It must be a psychological aspect where you've really got to overcome that at some point. Oh, definitely. I think the first sort of training session, you're moving very gingerly. You're not wanting to land in it. There's loads of different elements that, you don't want you don't want to put in a bad position. You don't want you, every movement you make. You're thinking about it, and it takes time to sort of get over that. And I think I, I think I trained for three months before Alec would let me play in any sort of game, just to to make sure I was reassured in my mind that it was fixed. Um, again, Alec would always say to me, once it's fixed, it will be it will be stronger. Your your legs are a lot stronger than they were because you've worked them so hard, and your muscles around it. So. Everything is is in place to, for it to be okay. So um, no, it was it, it was a long hard sort of rehab, but again, um, kind of puts a lot of things into perspective when when you do these sort of bad injuries and and you kind of appreciate football a lot more. How long was it after the the injury process till you made your first team debut? Um, well, after the injury, I went. I think I, I had six weeks, six months, sorry, of, of of training and and played reserve games, and then went on loan to Queen of the South uh, for a, a half a season. And then it was it was sort of after my Queen of the South loan, uh, I made my debut. Sort of, I think Jim Jeffries gave me my debut. Sort of the end of a season. I think I played Motherwell was my my debut away. And it was a it was an end of the season game, and he, he kind of just threw me in and put me in, and and that was the that was a kind of stage where I realised I want to play every week, and I actually went and seen him and said, look, I don't want to be a bit part player, I want to, I'd quite happily go on loan, uh, go and sign for Queen of South permanently, um, just to play every week, and and he actually said to me, look, bide your time, sign another contract here, and I end up signing at Kilmarnock for another two years, I think. He said you will become a, a first team goalie. I kind of took that on board, but it wasn't actually. Sort of Jim Jeffries that gave him a run of games. It was he he got sacked. Uh, I think it was sort of December January time, and Jimmy Calderwood came in, and Jimmy Calderwood came in and basically straight away played me, and he stuck by me. We were really struggling. It was a it was a real tough season for us. We were on the brink of obviously getting relegated, and and um, no, it was it, it was a hard hard season. But he put me in. It kind of gave me my first sort of sniff of first team football, and um, really enjoyed it as well. Who was kind of number two to you at that time? So Alan Combe was there. Alan Combe was first team goalie. He got an injury. It kind of gave me an in. And then Jimmy Calderwood kind of stuck by me after that um, and just played me all the time. So it was it was great that, that he gave me that opportunity. And, and um, Comer was great with me as well. I had a great relationship with Alan Combe and very, very good goalie. 
and I learnt a lot from from him and kind of owe a lot of my career to to guys like Jim Stewart, Alan Combe, who take time. Like Alan was a goalie, but also the goalie coach at that time. So I mean, he was still working me hard, although he was trying to get his place back off me. So it was it was a it was a hard one for him, but also he I think he seen himself as being a goalie coach in the future, which he's gone on to do. Um, so he wanted to help me and, and progress my my sort of footballing career as well. So that was a it was a tough tough time for him at that at that moment where he had to sort of juggle by improving me and trying to get his spot back. But it was it was great it was great times for me when when Jimmy Caldwell kind of stuck by me and, and played me and, and that was my my first sort of sniff of of first team football and really enjoyed it and, and then kind of kicked on for there with Kamarnock. You mentioned about threats of relegation. I think was it was it Falkirk you played in that yeah that major game at the end of the season in terms of pressure going into a game how did that one stack up? Oh, there was huge pressure. There was huge pressure on the club. I think there was a lot of talk before that game that of um, the club actually going into administration and all that. Loads of people losing their job if they went down and could the club survive? It's, I mean, it's the same for a for a lot of clubs in, in that sort of situation. But Kamarnock were very vulnerable at that point. They didn't have a owner who had money. Uh, Michael Johnson was chairman at the time. Didn't didn't have a have a great deal of putting money into the club. But it was kind of running out of a business sort of sense and, and um, the fans were keeping it afloat. And there was real fears that if Kamarnock had got beat in that game, then then you would go down. So, I mean, there's, there's huge pressure on everybody at the club um, going into such a, a high-profile game. And no, it, it's uh, they're, they're obviously difficult games to to be involved in and be be part of. Um, so it's it's it just shows you when when everybody's sort of fighting for that for that one win, um, Falkirk were desperate to go up as well. So it was it was a real real tough game. Was was there a a moment that you think? turned it in that game you know you t- you hear it like managers making some some of them make brilliant speeches some of them don't have to say anything some of them just say a couple of words which hit the spot maybe there's a couple of players who say things was there any any one moment either in the build-up to the game maybe the week before or on the day that sticks out for you that makes you that made you think you know now looking back in ret- retrospect um i, I don't I wouldn't say there was one moment i just think everyone you kind of know, like the certain games you look at, and you, you think. I always think back to to big games that I've played in, and and everyone was sort of focused at that point and knew the job that needed to get done. It's obviously it's, it's easier saying get the job done. That you need to you need to perform on the day. You need everyone to perform. Um, so it's it, it's a difficult one, but I think we were kind of prepared for that that moment, and we we were. Since Jimmy Caldwell came in at sort of Christmas time, we'd been on a decent run. We would had decent results. Remember, we beat Celtic at Rugby Park when when it was Robbie Keane's debut, and that was a sort of big moment for us because we were sitting bottom of the league, and and Robbie Keane's came in to Celtic, and everyone's talking about Robbie Keane this that and the next, and we end up winning the game one 0 So it was a uh, it was big moments in the sort of season that you always reflect back to and you think, well, if we can beat Celtic, then we can go and do a job on Falkirk. We know it's going to be difficult in the circumstances, but no, it was um, it was it was great just to get the job done and obviously um, keep Kilmarnock in the league and and they've kind of they've not looked back since. They've not been in such such a sort of position that they've needed to to fight for their life as much as then. And the following season, did you finish top six the following year or? The following season, yeah, we finished. We, we ended up mixed. Who Pilot Linen came in as manager, and 
and took over. Obviously, Kenny Shields came in as as assistant, and uh, Mixu completely changed it. I mean, there was a, a complete change of brand of football. It was when Mixu came in and wanted to play from the back, total football. It was sort of I would say it was the first sort of club that had done it for a period of time that was completely wanting to play football. I mean, Mixu would. I remember it would go absolutely mental on me if I kicked the ball up to the halfway line. It was, <laughs> thought. It was literally the last week. Even if players were marked in our half, which which eventually happened that season, teams kind of switched on to it that we were going to play through the back, but it was still determined that we had to pass it out from the back. And that was just his philosophy, the way he wanted to play the game. Um, and again, you, you have to have certain players to, to play that way. And we had very good players at that point. We had obviously Alexei Aramenko, who was... A phenomenal player that season. Um, Craig Bryson in midfield as well, great player. So we had very good ball playing uh, footballers in our team, but it became more difficult when teams kind of latched on a little bit more and were brave and came and marked us in our own half. How did the players adapt to that? Because obviously you're, you're totally changing a culture really, aren't you? Because some players will be saying, if you're in the bottom six, it's all right playing that way, but sometimes you just need to to get yourself out of there, did the, the players embrace it? Or was it a lot of hard work put on the training ground to for Mixer to get his ideas and install that into the players? Well, for me, for me personally, it was completely different. We had Kevin Kyle up front the 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 season before, so it was it was for me it was a, a long kick up to care for a flick on to, to play off around that. Uh, so it was a complete uh, different style of football for for myself. Um, again, it took time for for me to adapt. I really enjoyed it actually. I enjoyed because we worked on it so much, again, you're saying, did he work on a training pitch? Every single day from a Monday, we worked on pattern to play, playing from the back, playing through the goalie. If we were doing a shooting drill, it would start off, the shooting drill would start off with me playing out through the back, through the back four, um, ways that we can get out, different patterns. Um, so it wasn't just sprung upon us or we're wanting to play from the back on a Saturday. It was worked on all week, um, which helped us massively because it was every single week it was drilled into us the way we wanted to play and, and different solutions to, to problems we were going to face on a Saturday. Um, don't get me wrong, we, we never got it right all the time, but for that season it was very, very successful for us. So see at that point, Cammy, would you say that kind of changed your kind of football education a wee bit as well? Was that the first time you'd come into an environment, well, come on, it was the team you were at, where this is the first time anything like this had happened? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, before that in Scottish football, in my time, it wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of teams playing complete football from the goalkeeper. It wasn't really that thought of. I mean, I always remember a game at Easter Road and I was passed, I think I passed out to Suzoko, um, who was the, the right centre half and they used to peel off and, and the wide of the 18 yard box, I used to pass it out there and and then the, the ball ended up going into Craig Bryson inside the box and I remember Craig Bryson running across about the six yard line with a man chasing him across my six yard line and I'm standing back on my goal line thinking, gee, this is a bit too much, it's a bit too close for comfort here. I, I, honestly, it was it was bonkers, but that was the way he wanted to play and Mixu was was very calm about any of that sort of thing happening. I mean, the great the great out for me was Alexei Aramenko. He would come on the 18 yard line and stand facing me, a man up his back, Mark typed him and he would demand the ball and I'd give him the ball and every single time he wouldn't just give me it back he would take the ball, take it under pressure, beat the man and play a pass. And that was that was probably a key to us being successful that season was was him being so comfortable on the ball and being such a good footballer. Does it also make you as a goalkeeper when you're playing in a situation like that? 
using your feet you know the modern day goalkeeper if you like did you have to did you have to improve things like that as well separate to the actual you know gameplay if you like you had to, you had to work on things like that so you, you you could take part with your feet if and when you had to yeah totally i think it was um we worked a lot with our goalie coach billy thompson came in as goalie coach at that period so we worked a lot ourselves but it was great the way that mix who done his training we would be integrated in training every single day with the players working on some sort of patterns of play so wouldn't i wouldn't just be playing it out um, with the goalkeepers and doing that separately we would do that but it would all always involve the players and the starting 11 as i say if we were doing a shooting drill it would normally start with with me playing a ball out to to a center backs or, or a midfielder coming and taking it off me game sort of situations that that's what he wanted to recreate was a game situation we wouldn't just want a shooting drill to pass it like somebody laying the ball off and shooting for the 18 yard line he would he'd make patterns of play to end up with a shot that might happen in a game so there was a lot a lot of thought went in it and, and kenny and mixu put a lot of work into it and they had to, to to play that style of football you have to you have to work on it you have to stick with it when it doesn't go right because i mean there was games that i remember playing Celtic at rugby park we lost a couple of goals from passing out from the back and we got criticized for it but again we still stuck to it mixu still wanted me to play the ball for the back still wanted passes to be made in in risky areas because ultimately we scored a lot of goals from it as well you have to admire Mixu for that don't you because a lot of managers would would have lost their job you know playing for that you know not being able to change and adapt but by sticking by his principles to to give you the freedom to go and do that that's absolutely fantastic did Ken Shields then take over from from Mixu yeah, Mixu left um, the end of that that season, um, and he got the Finland job, and then Kenny took over as temporary and got the job full time after that. So no, Kenny took over, and Kenny was great as well. Kenny Kenny stuck by the philosophy, he liked to play football. Maybe wasn't as much so demanding on me to play from the back all the time because he would allow me to play longer longer balls, but still, if it was on. We would still try and play the same brand of football. We, we obviously, we, the the next season, we didn't have Alexei Eremenko. He moved back to his, his parent club. So, again, it was a huge loss for us. Again, I think Craig Bryson left the club at the same time. And, again, we, we brought in some some good footballers. Dean Shields came to the club that season. Um, so, there were still still very good players at, at the club. Um, and we, we still like to play a, a sort of good brand of football. But we were still... Kenny would let us go a little more direct if, if we needed to. Um, but again, it was another, it was a, obviously a hugely successful season when Kenny obviously managed to, to get us over the line and, and win the League Cup as well. Well, before we come on to Rangers, I mean, that League Cup day was was must be a highlight. And, and, I, and days like that, I suppose, performances like you mentioned, the Robbie Keane night, I think you were man of the match that night. You yeah. know, I know it was across a period of a few years, but all of that together must have been a, a massive reason in Rangers making their move for you as well. But that League Cup final, I mean, it was it was so many mixed emotions, weren't there? You know, winning it and then Liam Kelly's dad, sadly, tragically passing away in the stands afterwards. I mean, how, how was all that for, for you guys that, that day? Yeah, it was obviously, it was, a, it was a, a great day, a great day to be involved in a final. It was, it was one of these, these days that you never thought would come for a club like Kilmarnock and I think the fans as well, we stayed, overnight uh, in the Park Hotel right beside the stadium the night before. I remember Kenny having a little chat with us uh, the night before and said that he knew a lot of boys would be nervous and if we wanted to have a beer, we could have a, a single beer uh, if it relaxed us. He, he made this, he made it, he made it clear, look, whatever keeps you happy and keeps you sort of calm 
going into the game than you can have one. Nobody took him up. Uh, to I'm be just going to say, how many, how many did you have? Nobody actually took him up, but it was uh, he, he left out there. He just wanted everyone to be be calm. He knew that not a lot of players at the club had been in a, a major cup final. We knew we were up against it playing Selic. They, they had a phenomenal side at that time as well. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a poor Selic time team. It was a, a, a full of internationalists, full of players who basically moved on and went to the Premier League. So no, it was it was a big day for us and. Um, I always remember leaving the, the Park Hotel and loads of fans turn up to clap us out under the bus and doing the pictures and everything. And it was you kind of straight away I, I I felt really good about getting on the bus and getting to the stadium and in my warm up my warm up felt good and it just everything just sort of clicked for me in that one day. It was I had a great performance. Uh, we ended up winning as a team. It was it was brilliant. I mean it, it, there was one I think it was a triple save in the second half. Um, and the ball kind of popped up in the air, and Michael Nelson just came up. I caught it, and then Michael Nelson just came up and gave me a kiss on the cheek. Uh, <laughs> and it was one of them games when that happened in the second half. I knew that we weren't going to concede a goal, and we we're going to hopefully win the win the cup final. And uh, obviously, we managed to go on and do that. But obviously, as you said, you mentioned Liam Kelly's dad, so it went from from being the the sort of happiest moment in your life uh, to to such a sad moment straight away. And and uh, I found out on the pitch, it was Peter Logan, the, the kit man, came and whispered me in the ear and said Liam had, Liam's dad's died. And at that time, I kind of didn't really take it in that he died at the game. And then he says, oh, over there. And I could see paramedics um, gathered around an area near the dugout um, and then asked him where he was. And he was down, Liam was down the tunnel. So I went and seen him. And then hey, obviously he was, he was very upset and... and um, Kirsten Callahan, the secretary, took him away at that moment, and then all the players sort of filtered through the players on the pitch. So we kind of left and went back into the changing room. And I always remember the moment; I'll never leave me that the the cup for Kilmarnock winning a cup. Obviously, the first time they've ever won the league cup. Um, it sat in the middle of the changing room, and every player was in tears, just sitting around. Nobody spoke. Kenny was in tears, so it was a uh, it was such a sad time and then after about 10 minutes nobody spoke and then Kenny just said like lads let's get changed and go out here and, and we had a chat on the bus and just said look Liam wouldn't want us to be this way we need to to celebrate and, and appreciate what we've done today and and, and celebrate for, for Liam's dad's life as well it was, it was such a, a sad moment but but Liam wouldn't have want us, wanted us to be that way so we managed to, to kind of enjoy the, the rest of the night but huge huge day of different emotions yeah i mean tough to tough to get around that one obviously you landed you moved to rangers as a rangers fan what did that mean i mean i remember talking to you and interviewing you at the time and you were talking about some of your your rangers heroes and going up to watch rangers as a, as a boy what was it like when you when you go into a club like that that you've you've always followed and, and is it difficult not to be i was going to say overawed but maybe that's the wrong word but just like to actually treat it like your place of work when it's somewhere some, somewhere you've gone to and almost like worshipped? Yes, it's, I mean, obviously it was a dream move for me. I had a few options and then um, I think it was a winter break. That's uh, the sort of season before I joined Rangers. Uh, my agent had went, I was away abroad because we were we were also on a winter break in the Premier League. It was the first time they tried it. So I was away abroad and um, my agent phoned me and he said that he was speaking to, to Rangers at that point and then I was obviously delighted and, and wanted the move to happen. I knew Jim Stewart, the goalie coach, very well. I'd worked with him at Kilmarnock, obviously. Knew all about Ali McCoyst and, and Ian Durant, 
who I'd worked with Kilmarnock as well. So no, it was it was a move I always wanted to happen, and and the day that I kind of got the move, I was I was obviously over the moon and, and couldn't believe it had actually happened. And no, I just I loved every minute of it. it was, um, you look back and you always you always think I oh, would have changed anything. I wouldn't have changed anything. I mean, there's nothing nothing I would have changed that everything happens for a reason in your life and you've just you've just got to there's good there's always good times and bad times and I think you, you you appreciate the good times when you have some bad times so I mean that's um that that's why you learn from all these these different occasions in your life and as I say I, I loved every minute of being at Rangers and and I'll never forget I guess we're talking tonight about down the divisions you obviously played with them down the divisions what kind of challenges did that present you and I mean, I remember covering games down at the likes of Berwick and and uh, up at East Fife and places like that. And they were tough games, weren't they? And, and you were expected to go there and steamroller teams, but it wasn't always as straightforward as that. No, it was difficult, very difficult. Leagues. The expectation, the the elements you play in, the stadiums, sometimes you've got pitches and they're not great surfaces. They're very open stadiums as you go down the league. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of obstacles in your way. Um, expected to go and steamroller teams every week. And and you'll see Rangers, uh, they've, they've done it, uh, obviously, in in sort of recent seasons where they've, they've got a phenomenal team now and, and spend a, a lot, a lot of money. And, and sometimes I've struggled a little bit going uh, to East Fife and they, weren't, they, they, they got over the line, but they weren't that convincing in that game. Um, so it, these places are difficult to go to. So having to go to them week in week out um, was was hard. It was it was difficult, and obviously the expectation was huge on on the the players at that time. And again, it's something you go to Rangers and you need to expect. You you've got to win games. There's nothing apart from winning is acceptable at Rangers, and and it'll always be that way because they're such a huge club and and a successful club. So. You've got to go in with that mindset of having the winning mentality. Then, if you don't win, then you've got to take the criticism that comes your way. It must have been surreal on times, Camic. You know, Rangers pulling up to East Fife and a broth in the bus, and some of these small towns and villages never seen fans like it in their life. And also, there must have been some real quiet times. Some results that year, I think we had Airdrie and Stenhouse Muir, where you couldn't have had a lot to do in some of these games. I know there was a lot of games. There was a lot of games that was you were very, very quiet. I mean, there was games we did steamroll on a couple of teams, um, but there was other games we just got over the line. And um, I think the first season, the first season we went on on uh, beaten the whole season um, in the league in League One when I joined them. Um, and so I think the firm on that season were our sort of closest rivals that that kind of. We're looking to, to push us to the league, uh, to the league. Airdrie as well. We're in the league, so you know. I mean, there was games. There was games you would have to only make one or two saves, but then there was other games you would have to make one or two important saves because you were you were only winning the game one 0 and you were just getting over the line. Um, so ultimately, it was all about winning, and you had to have that winning mentality week in week out. And as I say, even if we drew a game in that in that season, which we did a couple of times, you would get criticised for that. Sometimes if you won a game one nil, you get criticised and. That was just the expectation of the fans. They were expecting to go to Ibrox and see six, seven goals going against Renoir. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. It's difficult. Like Again, as I say, recent times have shown that, that Renoir came and obviously sat in at, at Ibrox and, and, and took a, took a, uh, the Rangers team at the moment to break them down. Um, took a long time to break them down. So these clubs are hard to play against. And it's their cup final as well. It's everyone's cup final playing against Rangers. And 
they, some of these players think it's the only opportunity they'll get to do it. So they want to raise their game and play, give everything they can. So they, they are very, very difficult games. The atmosphere at some of these smaller grounds must have been electric on times when Rangers packed these, these grounds out. Must have been special to play as well. Brilliant. It was one of the best things was playing away, away from home. Um, obviously, I've played with, with Kilmarnock at big stadiums away from home, but see, playing with Rangers at, at small grounds, at your Strenard, your Stenhouse Muirs, where it's absolutely jam-packed, especially because it's terraced seat, uh, standing as well. Um, the atmosphere that they could create was incredible, and it was it was great that for me being a goalie and being so close to them as well. That was a, that was sort of special that you could celebrate with them um, because you're almost standing next to them at these small stadiums. Um, it's not like when you go in the Premier League and you play in, in stadiums there. Everyone's seated. Everyone's there's all normally a gap away from the from the pitch to the to the stands, but. But these smaller clubs, uh, they're right on top of you, and it's uh, it's good. It's good to be involved. It's it's great to to hear the fans and have them right on top of you as well. Some players maybe didn't perform to the level people would have expected them to to perform down down the divisions. Do you think there were some guys who were were used to maybe the the nicer surroundings, the bigger dressing rooms, the better pitches, the the even the bigger crowds maybe, um, and they and and that was one of the reasons why perhaps they didn't perform. To the level people expected? Possibly, yeah. I mean, uh, again, I think playing in different leagues that I have played in um, throughout my career, especially like you go back to when I've been at Partick Thistle in the Championship and then that season I went and played at St Johnston in the Premier League. Played in both leagues the same season and I would say they're completely different styles of football. Some, I would say some games I played with St Johnston were slightly easier than Championship games I played in and it was just because I, sometimes you get depending who you're playing in the Premier League, you might get a little bit more time in the ball, but, but there's a better quality of player there. Um, whereas Championship, you get these guys who work their socks off for 90 minutes, but maybe haven't got the ability of the, the Premier League player. So that sometimes there are different styles of football, different footballers. Um, as I say, you went to a lot of stadiums and pitches weren't great to play football on, so sometimes it ended a battle straight away. The wind, the conditions, just... The, Elements you're so open in some sta- uh, stadiums that the, the wind's howling every way, so it's it's difficult to play any sort of football. Whereas in the Premier League, you've you've got big stands covering most of the pitches that that block off a little bit of the wind and the elements. But sometimes there was there was obviously players maybe would have turned up and maybe didn't didn't fancy it that day or looked at the stadium and didn't fancy the stadium. But again, for the Scottish guys, you kind of knew what you were letting yourself into. I'd been yeah. there. I'd been on loan with clubs in, in the lower divisions. I'd been to most of the stadiums and, and knew what it was all about. So, again, I think some players are suited to, to certain divisions. What's the worst dressing room doing the divisions? It must be a dressing room you walk in and think, don't fancy this myself today. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few. It's normally, it's, normally, it's normally that they're too small. That's the problem. And you try to cram 20-odd bodies in and... <laughs> When you're with Rangers, you bring there's a lot of equipment comes with you, so you've got you've got all sorts coming in the changing room. Again, Albion Rovers was a was a particularly tough downstairs. Breakin City, it's very very small as well. So there were there were two two just again it's just the size of them they're so tight and so small that to fit all the players. I think at Breakin we actually starting eleven had to get changed. Uh, and the, the subs had to get changed once the starting living were changed, so it was it was that tight. So 
it's, uh, it's difficult. And again, these these are obviously things that might put some players off. Um, especially the, we had a few foreign boys in our in our team at that point, and they probably turned up to Brecon thinking, "What's this?" So um, <laughs> we're completely different rocks anyways. You obviously played under Ali McCoy, as you said earlier. Yeah. You know, we we all sort of saw what he did, what he said, and how it all ended for him. Do the public kind of know the full story, really? Do you think they appreciate what he was carrying on his shoulders during what were pretty horrendous times to get the club through? No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think anyone really, apart from from Ali and probably a few people close to him, know how bad things were. There was a lot. A lot of chat went on in the background. That um, there was a lot of people out to get different people inside the club, and it was the boardroom level. It was a complete mess. Who was running the club? You don't know. It, it was very, very tough for the manager from day. That I sort of joined, that there was a lot of sort of restrictions on what he could do and possibly who he could sign. And players did players did he sign all the players? Again, I don't know. These are these are only things that the manager or probably Ali will know that. Um, but definitely there was a lot of, there was a lot of turmoil when I was there in the boardroom level, and we had to deal with quite a bit of it. I mean, there was times that we got asked to take pay cuts, and we were we were quite happy to take pay cuts if we needed to. But again, it was a pick up for the sake of it. We didn't know where the money was going to go. It was it was a it was a case of you didn't take a pay cut. We asked if it was the club were going to go administration again. There was no sign of administration, so we didn't really understand why we were getting asked to take a pay cut. So it was it was a lot of strange and and things went on behind the scenes that that the manager would have to deal with ten times more than the players did. But it kind of filtered through us a, a few times and. I think when I was there, the, the chief executive changed four or five times, uh, so there was there was always changes happening at boardroom level. Would there be like a lot of player meetings? Would it be Ali would come in and, and, and sit you all down, tell you what was going on, or was it more trying to protect the players because he had to get the best out of you on a Saturday? I think he protected us a lot. He he kept a lot of it away from us. The only sort of time that. He left it with us. He would speak to Lee McCall, the captain, and and sometimes he, I remember when we were asked to go asked to take pay cuts, and he came in and he said, "Look, lads, you can have a talk about it. We can get as many facts as we can. I don't know if we'll get the truth." Again, there was a lot lot going on in them days, um, so it was it, it was it was a difficult period for for him for for the club and and even the way that when he left the club, I think that was the way everything was handled in that situation. Again, nobody probably knows the actual truth and what what Ali had to deal with. But all I can say is he gave everything to that club. And I think I think if he was at the club at a, a different period, he would have been a lot more successful. Um, and I think a lot more appreciated as well. And um, he was a he was a good manager and and always looked out for the players and always wanted the players to to have everything they needed to to win games of football. And he was he was definitely like. Everything was geared towards winning games of football for Rangers Football Club for for Ali McCoist. But there was there was success there in terms of, of course, Rangers should be expected to kind of win that league. We also won the kind of Ramsden's Cup and stuff like that as well, didn't he? So there was he done the job that was expected of him, I suppose. Yeah, he did. I mean, he he won the obviously as I say, League One. We went un, unbeaten um, the full season. We won that. So again, it would it, it just just became a, I think it just became a bit bit messy boardroom level for him. Again, I'm I'm not sure how much 
Power he had over some signings that it was it was just a, a difficult period for him. And when obviously when he left, Kenny McDowell took over. Again, Kenny made it clear that he didn't want the job. He didn't want to to be there, but ultimately he'd been put in place. Uh, so it wasn't ideal. It wasn't ideal for him. It wasn't ideal for the players. Um, so there was a, a it was a huge huge sort of mess at that time, and it was really unsettling for a lot of the players at, at that period when. There was always sort of that murmur of the club are going to go back into administration, and as I say, with with the fans not happy with the ownership and, and everything, there was there was um, there was so much going on in, in the background. It was it was always difficult in periods for the players to to have their full concentration on on winning a game of football um, because there was so much going on in the background. But on a positive kind of note, I suppose you would be driving into Murray Park every day. Training would have been good. Facilities would have been the best. That must have been a huge change for you from what you had come from. Oh, amazing, amazing! It was, it was a, it was a complete dream. And and again, Murray Park, phenomenal facility, and it's got everything there you need. And going into training every day was a was a joy. And I've been at, at clubs where you've had to scramble and find a training ground at the last minute. And and try and find a pitch if in the winter is there a pitch that's that's no frozen can we find somewhere we need to train indoors you end up training indoors on a five-a-side pitch i've been there i've done that to have under soil heated pitches a full-size indoor facility at your training ground it's no i mean i appreciated every minute of it because i'd been at the other the other end of the scale and, and been at places that you you don't have these facilities so sometimes I, find a jumper <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Find a jumper. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's sometimes you when you go to places like like Rangers and and you see the youth players and they don't some of the youth players don't really appreciate you. You really try and drum into them. Look, this isn't this isn't the normal in Scottish football. There's only a couple of clubs that are that have got this sort of facility. So you need to appreciate it and work work hard to stay in this place. And probably not until a lot of the younger guys leave Rangers and leave Murray Park and and move on that they really realise that. What they had was was the best, and and it's difficult to get back there again. But no, it was a it was a complete joy to to train there and be part of it every every single day. Just take you back to you talking about having to take wage cuts when you were there or being asked to take wage cuts. We've seen a similar thing happen at Hearts during this period. Were you asked to take them as a squad, or was it left up to an individual to decide? Because it's it's always. You look at it and you think if one person decides to take it and then another person doesn't, that can cause fractures in within a dressing room as well. At that period, then when we when we got asked, it was it was as a full squad. I think the club were were asking us again. We had asked questions if the club were struggling for money, if, if we were going to go into administration, and and all the the feedback we got was there was no sign of administration, so we didn't really understand why we were getting asked to take a pay cut or. Or where our pay cut was going, what it was going to fund. So it, it was a it was a strange one. But again, there was so much going on in the in the boardroom level. There was people, chief executives coming and going, and and nobody really knew where everyone sort of stood at that time. So it was it was a a strange one that we really, if we took a pay cut, we didn't know where our money was going to go to yeah. and what it was going to help the club. But listen, if they'd came and said we had a good honest bunch of boys there that. If they came and said that they needed money for to pay staff to keep them keep them on the payroll, then then we would have, we were willing to do it, but we just never ever got feedback of where the money was actually going to be going and and what was going on if we were going to administration. So there was not none of that came back. So it was a, a very strange question to get asked. Mm-hmm. There's no sort of 
no reason for it. Um, but you're right though that if the, if there was one or two took it, um, then then it, it it would cause a cause a rift in the sort of a dressing room and and you you then obviously if the club are struggling for money because Hearts are they've obviously prepared for for getting relegated and 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 looking to to obviously offset some finances and and most players have now took a pay cut whether that was pressurised or not we don't know but no it's it's something you never really want to see happen in football clubs. If the football clubs have given players that contract, they should they should honour it. They expect the exact same from a footballer. So for me, I I think clubs clubs have got to do the exact same back. They're quick in criticising players when they don't honour something in their contract or or they leave at the end of their contract for free and players get criticised for that or clubs and fans. But it's, it's sometimes it's different when when clubs all of a sudden say, "Oh no, you need to take a pay cut. We, we can't afford to pay you that." But ultimately, it's, that's for me. If they've given you a contract and you can't afford to, to pay, it's poor management from somebody that's running mm. the club. And so back then, you didn't take a pay cut. No, none of us did because we never yeah. we never came to a conclusion yeah. of of why we were we were asked to take one, and and it never went any further from that. Obviously, there was the game against Motherwell that you played in. And and you know, people talk about what happened to you to you that day. Do do you look back on that? You know, does it is it hard not to look back on that and and feel it maybe played a part in in then what came then the next season? It was it was high profile, and so when a new manager comes in, something that's high profile like that maybe overtakes everything else you've done. If that makes sense. Um. Yes and no. Again. Uh... Again, obviously, I always speak about this, and and I made a mistake, a high-profile mistake. It's one of these things that you never want to do, and but it does happen, and you need to you need to be big enough and brave enough to deal with it and speak about it. And it was a mistake that, again, I look back and I can't explain what what happened at the time and why I did it, what the decision I made to to try and punch it again. I, did I lose my balance? It's, it's so difficult to answer any of these questions. It's like you make a great save. Sometimes it's instinct. You don't know how you've done it. So you look back at it and you think that it was obviously, I got a lot of criticism from it totally. And, and yes, people can criticise you. That's that's fine. I've, I've no problem with that because I, I did make a mistake. But ultimately, I think we lost the game 6-1 in, in the long run. I think the damage for me was always done at, at Ibrox when we... When we lost the game there, going to, to Motherwell was always going to be a big task. And we didn't score in the first half, so it was it was an even bigger task for us. When we didn't, I think we just kind of ran out of steam a little bit um, in that playoff final, and probably the game before it against Hibs, home and away, took a huge amount out of the players. It had been a long season; there'd been a lot of turmoil on and off the pitch. And um, no, I mean it, it was something I've spoke about before. I had an injury going into that game. My knee was. I'd torn my cartilage in my knee. I was taking injections. I think I took an injection for the Hibs game. Um, and then I took another one for both Motherwell games. And obviously, come in short space of time. So my knee was getting worse and worse every game I played. And I, but it was my decision to play. I wanted to play the games. I wanted to, to brave up and play in them games. And, and I'll never blame it on the injury. But I knew straight as soon as that game finished, I knew I was in for an operation in the summer. So... It was always going to be difficult when a new manager came in. Matt Warburton came in, and for the first three months, I was on a treatment table. I was had just had my operation. I had three months worth of rehab, and I didn't get back until I think it was sort of September, October. And then you have to play reserve games, so then it ends up November. 
So then, by then, obviously, he signed a first-team goalie, so it becomes really difficult to get back in the team. And again, one of these things that happen in football and um, timing's everything. Uh, unfortunately, I was injured when the manager came in. Didn't really get the opportunity under Matt Warburton, and I decided that I was I was going to leave the club um, in the summer once once I hadn't played basically most of the season. It was I needed to get back playing football again. Did you still have a year cameo in your contract at that point, or was your your contract up at the end of the season? I'd I had another year left, so once I hadn't played um, and I was back fit and I hadn't played for a period, and Wes was in, Wes was doing well, very good goalie as well. I decided that I wanted to play football. I was starting to hit that sort of 30 age that I wanted to be playing. Um, also, I wanted to know that my knee was okay again. I'd went through another, it was the same knee that I'd had two operations on previously, so it was another operation for it. So it was a, another one that I needed to make sure my knee was going to be okay. I didn't want a huge period of two years without playing any football and, and, and having a knee operation. So I made that decision that I wanted to kind of move on um, and go and find first team football and um, managed to managed to get that opportunity with going to Dundee United. Obviously, we spoke earlier about uh, Mix who want to play football from the back. Yep. When you've joined Rangers down the divisions, it's obviously a bit more difficult to do that. Teams camping against you is very difficult to break them down. Out of all the managers, did Mark Warburton try and change things a bit? Because he was he come to the club as he was going to be the next uh, Mourinho, wasn't he? And, yep. It must no, have been I mean, difficult. He's, he's, um, his philosophy of playing was, was similar. I wanted to play through the back, worked on loads. He, Matt Warburton's training was first class. I mean, he, some of his, 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 his drills he done was, were brilliant and the intensity of training was great. I've spoken about it before. I've said that I didn't, I, me and Matt Warburton had a fallout because of his, his man management style. I didn't particularly like um, the way that he handled sort of Going in and speaking to him, and I felt as if he just kind of wanted you out of the out of the sort of the manager's office um, when you went in. Um, didn't want that sort of confrontation. But again, I, I couldn't fault him. Probably the best manager I've had on the training pitch. Phenomenal. Um, his drills, some of the stuff you could tell that Mark Warburton had worked in a, a business sector before he came into the football because attention to detail was second to none. There was everything was timed. Everything was with a with a a monthly chat up for our training. We knew that he had this sort of one level one, two, three, four, five, and every day you would you would know if you were training at level one, which would be basically be a recovery. Level five would be your hardest session. You'd have how long the training session was going to last, and this would be a full month's program um, in advance for the players to see. So again, it's something that obviously he'd brought from a business sector into to a football in, uh, environment. Um, was was this timetable that and players loved it because you ultimately knew when you were training, how long you were training for. It was great. He had a, he had a, another idea he had which was great was a, he had a star system, so he had everybody's players' names up on a list and every exercise you would do there'd be stars up for grabs. So if you're doing a possession drill, the winning team would get two stars. If you're playing games, the winning team would get two stars. And at the end of the month, it was a I think it was. A, a 500 pound voucher for something, and and it just made training that little bit more competitive. And you know, there's a lot, lot from Matt Warburton. If I was ever to go into management, that I would take from him because he was very good on the training pitch. But again, there was times in man management that I, I didn't agree with what what he'd done as well. And would boys all buy into that that kind of reward system? I they did, they did see see um, getting towards. 
which made it really interesting getting towards the end of the month. You would see in the last week, the boys would, if you were, if you were up there in the star system, you'd be dragging the rest of the boys. And if you're playing small sided games, you'd be dragging them saying, come on, I've got, I've got money to be won here. So it standard up. It would, and it was just a, it was a small sort of idea he had. And it was, it was a good one for me. I thought it just kind of made you were, you were ultimately, Every day in training, you were playing for something. There was a there was a, a prize at the end of it, and you should train properly every single day. But sometimes players don't. So, but again, the intensity it kept the intensity really high and the focus high. No, it was it was good that way. And I, I liked his I liked his monthly plan. I liked his structure of his his level of training. You knew what level you're training up and how difficult the session was going to be, and, and also how long the session was going to be. He didn't have a lot. I've been at clubs and they've trained for possibly. Two, two and a bit hours and some of Matt Warburton's session was 50 minutes, 60 minutes 110 minutes it was different but again the intensity if you were training for 50 minutes you would walk off that training pitch absolutely knackered and it was um, it was just how intense and, and organised the training session was so he was, he was very good on the training pitch and Would he be the guy taking every session or would David Weir be in doing it or fitness coaches or a little bit of it all. A little bit. Mark Robert was very involved. He was on the training pitch every day. He was he was there having influence every single day. And again, Mark Robert um, was was demanding. He would make sure that drills would flow properly. But David Weir also was there and, and given his knowledge on the football side that he'd been at. So I mean, it was um, it was a good mix between them both, to be honest. You obviously left there, and and you chose to go to Dundee United from there and work with Ray for the first time. We've obviously talked about what you kind of uh, appreciate with Ray's methods. Dundee United, Partick, Falkirk, you know, g- going down the down the divisions, if you like, how, how, how do you reflect on, on those spells? And do you have a sort of a, do you, do you wish you played more in the premiership in the top flight than you ended up doing? I mean, I guess you went to, you went to Dundee United to get back, didn't you? And, and probably the same at Partick, ultimately, when they were in the, in the championship. Yeah, when I moved to Dundee United, obviously, they'd, they'd just been relegated. They were a massive club. Um, I went up and met Ray McKinnon. I'd met a few managers that, that summer. And just um, the size of the club, the history of the club, everything made sense for me at the time um, to go and join them. And Dundee United, absolutely loved Dundee United. I loved my season there. The only problem for me was I was... I just started a young family. I was staying in Annan, which is obviously almost still outside the country. We used to train in Andrew, so it used to take me, it used to take me three hours to get to training every morning, uh, and go home. And it was, it was, uh, it was fine to start with. I got my head around it. I was used to travelling a sort of hour and a half. That was my sort of normal, an hour and 15, 20 minutes. And when the sort of I travelled with a, a, a group of boys from Glasgow, and it was a sort of hour and a half for the boys from Glasgow, so it was a, a it was a good travelling distance for them. But it just became too much. I remember at, at Christmas time we were doing well, really well. We we're top of the league. Hibs obviously were in the league at that point, um, and we just played Hibs. It was sort of a Christmas game at Tannadice, and we won one nil. I remember I saved Martin Boyle's penalty, and we won that game one nil, and we were top of the league. And I remember that week, I think, I went in and seen Graham McKinnon. I said. Gaffer, I can't do it anymore. I need to. I need to leave. I need to leave in January. I, I was like, I'm done. My, I was so tired. I was. I just felt as if I was leaving the house at sort of six o'clock in the morning, getting home at six if we were doing double sessions. And it was. I wasn't seeing my kid. I was. 
it was just difficult. It was really, really hard for me. And he, you couldn't believe he was a bit taken back, but that went and I said this to him because he'd made me captain as well at this point. So we kind of came to an agreement. I would do my recovery sessions on Monday at home myself, uh, liaised with the fitness um, guy and, and um and that helped me a bit until the end of the season. And, and But by the end of the season, I, I knew my time was up. My little girl actually took me well and went in hospital. So that kind of made my decision that I spent a lot of time in, in the hospital that, that summer. And I made my decision that I needed to leave for, for family reasons. Nothing to do with the club because I absolutely loved the club. And we almost got there. Playoff final, we got beat by Hamilton, obviously 1-0 over the two legs. So that was, that was a difficult time as well because everyone forgets in that playoff final that we... The home game at Tannadice was nil-nil, and we we should have had a penalty. And with that penalty decision, Simon Murray actually got sent off. Um, he got a second yellow card for for diving, and everyone kind of forgets that that was a key moment in that in yeah. that in that tie. Yeah. And it kind of cost us that for me, it cost us a whole tie. The second leg, if we'd went to Hamilton one nil up in the second leg, if we'd got that penalty and scored it. I think it would have been a completely different game. And in terms of moving on from there, then to uh, to, to Partick to. To, to Falkirk down the divisions. How, how is it when you go, you know, you I guess we touched on it a little bit with, with Queen's Park, but somebody who's used to playing at the top level there, dealing with maybe the facilities that, you know, the Rangers have, you don't suddenly have them, playing with a different quality of player, no disrespect to them, but different quality of player possibly to, to, to what you're used to playing with. Is that a bit of a culture shock going the other way to begin with, even though you have played, like if, if you like, down there before? Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, if you you played at the top level, you played in front of big crowds and, and everything that comes with with playing at the, the top level. And then you, you obviously drop down the divisions, the, the standard drops a little bit, although there's still some very good players in the lower leagues. Um, it, it's difficult, but I mean, you get to, you get to an age and, and you understand um, where your career's kind of going and, and tapering off a little bit. I'm not saying that I'm finished yet. I still feel like I'm, I've got a lot left. But I understand that I've went to a club with a, with a project and, and that was a, a main focus for me, that I was going to a club that was on the up and wanted to be better and wanted to improve. And for me, where I want to go in football after playing it's good to be involved in a club like that. I can learn a lot when I'm there. I can see how they develop as a club, how they move forward. I can speak to different people in the background. And hopefully I can be part of getting the club where they want to be and, and up the leagues and into the championship and, and challenging championship teams and being competitive. And, and they've got all the tools there to, to do it. They're in a great area that obviously you can um, that you can get loads of fans and, and bring them in. So it's, it's something that, that I would, I would love to be part of for for a period of time, and hopefully that the manager can can keep me there for for a few seasons. And I would I would like to see my career out at Queens Park, um, uh, and I'd like to see it out with them up in the divisions as well. Obviously, we're probably going to come on and touch on uh, what you're going to do next. First of all, a couple of questions. Can't pick Ray McKinnon. Who's the best manager you've worked under? You've obviously touched on a lot there. And secondly, are you going to pursue a career in management? Um. Best manager I've worked under, um, I'm going to say Kenny Shields. I really enjoyed Kenny's time. He was very good in the training pitch. Great man manager as well. I think he was very honest, sometimes too honest with the press. I think that got him in a lot of trouble. Um, but no, he was, he was good. He was good all round and, and he done great for Kamarna. I think he got 
sort of a bit of a raw deal. We finished seventh that season. I think he got sacked after that. And it just shows you winning a cup, then the expectations go sky high and, and you're expected to do great things. But no, Kenny was a, a great man and a good manager as well. And management after the game, is it something you... Management's one of the, probably the, one of the sectors I would like to go into. Um, management or director of football would be the two that, that interest me. I think I, I've got a good football knowledge. I think that I've got a good understanding of people and most managers that I've liked and worked with, that I've enjoyed working with, uh, are good man managers and, and um, good people persons and, and, and like to like to talk to people and understand players. So, I mean, that's, that's the kind of role that, that I would like to be in. I think that's why I'd probably be a little bit more suited to a sort of director of football role who's not directly the manager, but a, a, a guy that the player can go and speak to and has got experience and can help these guys along with whatever they are looking to do in their careers and on and off the pitch as well. Just to finish this this section, um, can't kind of talk about your playing days and, and not talk about that one Scotland cap. How much did that mean to you? Yeah, it was it was massive. It was one of the highlights of my career. It was it was a great moment and it was a it was obviously it was kind of. It was a difficult period for me to, to get a cap because with Craig Gordon, Alan McGregor, David Marshall were in there, so it was it was so so difficult in the in the goalkeeping department to to get a game. Um, but obviously when Craig Levine gave me an opportunity, I was in a lot of squads and it was great being in the squads. When I was younger, I learnt so much from from going away and working with Craig Gordon and and Alan McGregor, and they developed my career as well. So it was it was great being part of it, but. No, it was an absolute joy to, to, to get a cap and, and be involved at national level and, and go on so many trips and experience that. It's, um, it's something that I'll never forget. Luca Boswell-Thistler brought Bryce Reid back after playing for Craig Mark. Over at Wishaw, they've signed defender James Brown. His previous clubs include Cumbernauld, Peters Hill, Canvas Lang, Foldhouse and Bells Hill. Irvin Meadow defender Callum Gow has extended his contract for another season. And there's some sad news at Vale of Leiden after their treasurer, Liz Robertson, passed away. Our thoughts are obviously with her family and everyone at the club. Which brings us to our Inside the Mind feature. Each week we'll put our guest on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Cammy. first yeah. up, who was your idol as a boy? <laughs> My idol was goalkeeping wise. It was Michael. He was obviously yeah. at man at that period and and was phenomenal. And I remember he used to always try and get Peter Michael gloves. I think he wore Reebok at that time and gloves and boots because uh, he had the sort of the matching gloves and boots. So that was that was something I always wanted to get. And he was just a phenomenal goalie and he uh, loved the loved the spread. That was that was his main sort of trick. Who's the opponent that you always dreaded facing? Um, oh, that's a, a difficult one. Uh, I would say Kenny Miller because he was he was one of these guys that he always ended up scoring against me. That was one of the reasons. Um, but he was so he was so busy. He was always like he was one of these guys. If you got a back pass, he was always the guy to chase you down. I would have said Chris Boyd, but Boyd wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have chased you down that for sure. So, Kenny, Kenny definitely. He was he was he was a top player obviously, but he always seemed to score as well. And and as I say, he was always one of these guys that was on the move and very intelligent. Uh, so he was a, a difficult opponent to face. Um, what was the favourite football top you wore and why? Um, I think the the one that I liked when I was younger was 
the Rangers purple one. I had that for a period of time when I was younger. I think I was a third strip, and I, I, just just because it was different, and hadn't had anything out like that for for a while. And I had all the home home and away tops, and normally, obviously, the, the home tops was blue. And uh, but when this purple one came out, I was delighted that my mum and dad got me it. Um, I can remember wearing it everywhere. And no, it was just I, was, I felt as if it was quite smart and something different back in them days as well. Who's the best player you've played with? Best player I've played with, I've got to say, uh, I had one season with him, and it's got to be Alexei Eremenko. Yeah. That season I had with him, yeah. he was phenomenal. I mean, for me, the way that we played football that season, giving him the ball, I've never seen anyone be as creative a player with the ball at his feet, and the, some of the passes he made was phenomenal. He, I mean, he, he ultimately, for me, Connor Salmon, a very good player, but he made Connor Salmon a a goal scorer by giving him so many opportunities and and no it was it was a joy to a joy to play when such a talented talented footballer. And what's the best practical joke you've seen played in your career? Um, practical joke. I'm trying to think. Um, probably there used to be Jamie Hamill again when I, obviously when I used to stay with him when I was younger. Hamill used to when he was injured he used to grab boys' car keys. I remember Stevie Masterton was um, a young lad at Kilmarnock as well and he, him and Masty used to always be at each other and one day Hamill was was injured and he, I think he stole Masty's car keys and drove it and, and parked it round the corner and but actually Hamill went home that day early and never told Masty where his car was. I think Masty had to get the bus home so, so that was uh, him until the next day until he could see Hamill actually find out where his car was. So um, no, I used to, them two used to always be out when we were young kids at Kilmarnock um, in the youth team dressing room. I mean, I spoke to you recently for the paper, Cammy, about your, your plans for the future and time after playing and, and recruitment. I know we touched on management there, but and you, you mentioned director of football roles. Is do you think recruitment is more than likely the route that you'll you'll look to go down? I think so. I think recruitment's where I'll, I want to ultimately start. I think um, looking at the pathway of of getting to the director of football role that ultimately I want to be in the future. Uh, recruitment's a good place for me to start and 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 work network with with, with people and. And get to know players and, and managers and get to know the game a little bit more. But also, while I'm doing recruitment, I would like to meet more directors of football, learn from them and, and go and get their experiences and, and their, their knowledge of, of their the role. Because, I mean, there can be different, there's obviously different titles of sporting directors, of directors of football, of chief executives. So they've all got different different types of roles and, and work in slightly different ways at different clubs. So it's, it's something that, I want to go and explore and hopefully I can, can meet a few more within the next sort of year or two when we can start travelling again. I can go and visit different clubs and and um, get these guys' knowledge and experience and that will hopefully help me in the future. You've been talking about talking about getting experience. I mean, the piece we did in the paper, you know, you, you, were, you were telling me you've already had experience, if you like. You've already been doing some, some scouting for Manchester City and, and speaking to Ross Wilson at Rangers. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it for for a, a little bit now, and um, again, going down to Man City and seeing their setup, it's it's phenomenal. It's where everyone wants to be. Um, again, dictated a lot by the the finances that they have and the facilities that they've got. Um, a phenomenal setup, and but again, it shows you attention to detail you can go into to signing a player and and recruiting a player and and different modules you have on 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 signing um, a player. 
and again, working, going and speaking to Ross, it's it's great to, to speak to one of the top guys in, in a director of football role. Ross has got great plans for Rangers and, and to, to experience and see what he's got set up for the club and looking forward for the future. It, it's great for me to, to learn from these guys and, and go and speak to them and, and hopefully I can continue doing that. How did you get involved with Manchester City and how do you manage to juggle that with kind of training and playing as well? Man City, I kind of got involved um, through David Fernandez is, is one of their chief scouts there. Um, so he's done it for a, a long time now. Um, Fernandez is, is basically since he finished playing, built up his uh, sort of recruitment um, and then moved on and he's now in Europe and uh, obviously lives over in Spain, but does a lot of Europe, European football for Man City, so he introduced me a guy um, Stuart Thompson, who Stuart's helped me out. he's UK um, sort of youth football um, and he's, he's doing a lot of stuff at Man City and the way that they set up and um, no, just to get experience off these guys uh, is great and it's, it's difficult to, to juggle it but I try and do as much as I can I try and go down there when I can and, and, and see all the guys down there and I speak to Stuart on the phone and, and uh, message them a lot of different different matters and, and he can give me all his knowledge he's done it for a long time now as well so just to try and get experience and, and network with different people and the ability of, of keeping in a, a, that sort of recruitment side of things What kind of age level are you looking at? Uh, youth team so sort of from from 12 to 18 even uh, cover some some reserve football games um, just go and watch give reports back and 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 you can i mean you can learn a lot even going with kenny marshall's the uh, uh, scout for man city youth level in scotland and going sitting with kenny and watching stuff with him is great he through he's experienced as a, as a scout and um, getting to know these guys is is great for me, and and as I say, it can only can only hold me in good stead for for going forward with a recruitment role in the future. Does it make you play the game differently? You know, you hear pair of players who talk about doing coaching badges, and you know how doing coaching badges can make them better players, make them look at the game differently. Do you, do you, do you find that when you're playing that it maybe changes your perspective on games and players a little bit when when you start to get that eye for for Finding potential, if you like, or finding finding a decent player and covering a player. Yeah, I think you, you kind of notice different um, talents and different abilities in, in players. And again, the, the recruitment at the elite level, it's, it's sectioned off by about five or six different sections. You need to tick all them boxes for, for them to have a look at you the second time. Never mind, um, the, I mean, Man City, they ultimately they'll watch a player they, they say, roughly say it's not, not every single player, but over 20 times before they, they make an approach for any player. And and each time they've, they've been analysed through stats, through visually watching a player, through watching a player on, on Scout, um, doing reports on their background of what type of personality they've got. There's all these different checks that they do and their, their development as a as a person, as a, as a human being, their strength. Their, there's so many aspects of, of recruitment these days that you can go in and again when you're at that elite level you, you're wanting to find that that next um, Phil Foden that's what that's what they want to find they want to find that next player that can that can break into the, the Man City team and be a, an England internationalist so they, they they look up and down the country and in Scotland as well so um, no, it's a huge setup down there 
if there's a couple of uh, Man City players going spare, I think Paul's looking for a couple of boys for, for next season, aren't you? I take a couple at the Queen's Park. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking there, we were talking about Rangers and all that, and then we announced the news and we went from Cammy's career to, no disrespect, Luger, Bos- <laughs> Luger Boswell's transfers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you've obviously kind of, you're setting yourself up well for, for life after football, I guess, but um, still a few years to go yet. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully a few years left. Um, I want to play as long as I can, as long as I'm enjoying it, as long as my body can can keep going. But I mean, the thing that's important that a lot of players you need to to prepare for when football finishes, or it's going to be really difficult with what's going on in the current climate for players to get contracts. Um, ultimately, there's a lot of players now have been released, and nobody knows a start date. So um, it's going to be it's going to be tough times for players and that's why I think you need to look whether it's within football out when you finish playing or out with football and, and educate yourself in something else um, there's loads of stuff out there the PFA are trying harder now than they ever have to to make sure boys leave the game with an education whether they leave it at the end of their career or whether they, they get released and they, they need to go part time or they fall out of the game, whatever the, the way they leave the game, that they've got an education, they've got something to fall back on, they've got a plan in place. And I think that's important for footballers these days that you have a plan in place and you kind of know where you want to go. Before we finish up, we'll just clear up the, the down the divisions decider. I'll give you a reminder of the clues. We're looking for the year that Lenithgow Rose won the Scottish Junior Cup for the first time since 1965. The Queen Mother passed away. Edrie became the first senior club in 35 years to go into liquidation and Pierce Brosnan bowed out as James Bond in Die Another Day. Cammy, you went 2004. Yes. Paul, you went for 2001. It was 2002, hit the bar. <laughs> Still 1-0, Davis. 1-0. Many more weeks have we got? A few, to go yet, Paul. A few to go, yeah, Paul. <laughs> uh, Cammy, thanks for joining us. All the best for... Queen's Park and going full time and um, also obviously hope the, the recruitment and director of football uh, plans continue to, to go at the pace they've, they've been going Cheers, thank you guys Don't forget you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com That's downthedivisions at gmail.com or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram do leave a comment which helps others find us and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll speak to you again next week on Down the Divisions. Mm-hmm.